Good evening and welcome to InTown Community Church. Uh, I'm Andrew Flatgard, and it's my privilege to be an assistant pastor here at the church. Uh, so glad you're here tonight. If this is your first time to be here, we're especially glad that you could join us tonight to spend time with John Cox. I'd like to share a few things about the conference and then pray and then invite him to come up as well. Well, um, if you, let's see, there is a handout. Uh, the handout is in different colored uh, pages. It's all the same handout, however, even though it's beige, yellow, canary, it's all the same. So if you have that one handout, that covers you for uh, tonight, tomorrow uh, as well. Uh, so John will speak in, a f in just a moment, and uh, there will be a break, so it's sort of an intermission tonight. Uh, and we have a lot of food out there, yogurt and some other things. We'd love for you to enjoy that and some coffee. We do have restrooms. As you leave, you just keep going straight down the hallway, and the restrooms are there uh, on your left. And so John will speak tonight, uh, 6 to 9, and then tomorrow morning, 9 to 12. And he'll be back with us Sunday morning at 9.30 here in this sanctuary for adult Sunday school, too. So please join us for that as well. Let me pray for our time. Our Father in heaven, as we gather here this weekend for this marriage conference, each of us has a unique story. Some people here tonight are not married and don't desire to be married, but do desire to draw closer to you and to other people. Some people here tonight are single and desperately want to be married. Some here tonight are married and are in a good season and are giving thanks for that and are looking to grow more. And some here tonight are married and are in a rough patch and maybe have been in a rough season for several years. None of this is new to you, Lord. You are with us in this room and you're with us in our hearts. And so we ask this weekend that you would help us to learn more about you and that you would open our hearts to whatever you might have to say. So we ask that you would encourage us, challenge us, carry us, and remind us that you love us deeply. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John Cox is from Jackson, Mississippi. He grew up in Mississippi and went to Ole Miss for college. He went to graduate school in Jackson. And also I got a doctorate in counseling and therapy in Los Angeles. He's been in private practice for more than 31 years. He has three children and two grandchildren. He's married to Norma, has been, and his, Norma and has been married for 37 years. And he's a longtime friend of InTown. He's been uh, making the trek over here for many years to be with us in a variety of contexts, doing leadership training and counseling and conferences on parenting and marriage and other things too, and uh, we are just deeply grateful for your long-term association with us and coming on over, so thank you. You can come on up and teach us. Thanks. This is a real treat. I'm so glad to be back with y'all. Uh, how many of y'all are remember me, knew me from the old days? Wow. We had good times, didn't we? We're going to have a good time this time, too. Um, 
Let me start with this as a context for our marriage conference from Isaiah 54. This is about your husband. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. You will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. Yahweh of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. Just to put in context what we're going to be talking about, where our hearts truly belong. Um, so, welcome to our marriage conference. I call it Finders Keepers um, because uh, how many singles do we have? Good, good, good. The principles that we talk about in a marriage conference are applicable to singles and dating as well. So, Finders Keepers, get it? Um, I, I, used, I used to call this John's 10 Easy Steps to Hot Racy Romance, but um, somebody, <laughs> somebody told me you couldn't say hot racy in church, so I, I had to change it, you know. Um, and my hope is that you will find this to be a different kind of marriage conference maybe than you've been to before, except those of you who were here in the old days, you'll hear some familiar pieces. It's changed a good bit, but there's some things that you'll remember. Uh, I want to skip over kind of the things you can get in a marriage book, you know, like five meaningful touches and getaway weekends and men are like microwaves and women are like crock pots, you know, uh, and try to go a little deeper, really, you know. Um, I want to talk about this. Um, if your marriage is anything like mine, you know that, that sense in which you wish y'all were closer, but you're not, or you wish you didn't say things snarky and snappy, but you do, or that you start talking about car insurance and somehow that turns into a fight. You know, and three hours later, somebody's going, well, then why don't we just split up then? You know, and you're thinking, this was car insurance three hours ago, you know. Don't you hate that? <laughs> and, and don't you wonder kind of why you do that junk? Um, what I want to do this weekend is give you some traction for that. Sort of some thoughts about how marriage works and how it doesn't work. And some thoughts about categories for making sense of that junk that goes on inside of us with each other that makes us act like total gizmos. I don't think that marriages get better because of learning just, you know, communication skills. I want to talk to you some more deeply about how I think marriages work. So I am glad you are here. Um, briefly back to you. Um, uh, I am grateful to be at In Town again. Um, I was thinking uh, last year that I thought, I don't know when I'm going to get back. And suddenly uh, Andrew called me. You know, in 2008, I was bumming around doing conferences here and there, and then you guys invited me to be part of your family, and I was here a lot, and I didn't have an identity of myself as someone who could minister to groups, and I learned that here. And now I do probably a conference a month all over the country. Um, I've just written a parenting book. It's out there. Um, it's, it's sort of a self-serve lemonade stand. You can Venmo me or leave a check or whatever. It's a self-help, self-serve book table out there. Anyway, I decided I want to write a marriage book next year, but if I'm going to give to people, if I'm going to give to anybody first, I want to give to our little people. So I thought I'd write a parenting book first. I think you'll enjoy it. 
um, I certainly enjoyed writing it, like a lot more than I thought. But I kind of wanted to begin there saying thank you. Um, a lot of where I am in my career now is because of things that you guys gave me. So we're going to talk this weekend about marriage and romantic relationships because I want to apply it to you singles who are possibly dating. Uh, we're going to do a lot of Q&A as much as we can. Um, that number there that's also on your handout is my Google Voice text number. And that is, um, I want to do Q&A, but maybe you have a question that you can't, you know, raise your hand and say, yeah, my husband's a total narcissistic maniac, you know, and, what, and he's like, you know, hey. Um, <laughs> you can't ask that question, right? So this is a text number. You can text me a more confidential question. Now, do be aware that sometimes what happens is the floor gets so full of questions we don't get to them or there's enough text questions where I don't get to them, and it can be vulnerable to text something and I don't get to it. So I kind of apologize ahead of time. But I want you to have that resource at least for us to try. Um, as Andrew said, Norm and I are married now 37 years, and we are empty nesters with all the girls are gone and have jobs and don't live at home, which is on my resume now. Um, <laughs> that in itself qualifies me to write a parenting book, all right? Uh, we have uh, two grandsons. And um, so, so what I thought I was going to do that we could do this weekend is I have, you know, like six, 800 pictures of them and we're going to go through them. <laughs> and if there's any questions, I'll be glad to, you know, and that's, you know, <clears throat> but I'm glad you're here. And so many of you, I'm just so moved at how many of you brought your spouses here for me to fix. This is just, <laughs> it's going to be really neat, y'all. Yeah. Once, once they change your marriage, it's going to be so rich. Um, those of you who know me already know this, but regarding my family life and me as a husband, um, contrary to what I'm sure you believe, my speaking on marriage did not begin by my wife saying, oh, John, you make marriage so blissful. You've got to share your secrets. You know, you got to go on the circuit, man. Like other wives are missing out because husbands don't, you know, that's not what she said. I think she's... <laughs> I think she's actually given up believing I'm actually going to do any of the stuff I talk about, you know. Um, so I'm as big a knuckleheaded husband as any of y'all, and you'll hear some stories about that. It's just not going to sound that way, because speakers always sound like they're really good at what they're speaking at, you know. Um, but actually, this woman asked Norma once at a conference, um, after the marriage conference, she goes up to Norma and says, what must it be like to be married to him? <laughs> Wait for it. And Norma tactfully says, Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> I've always appreciated that. All right, so let's get started. We got miles to go. I'm going to go ahead and start by telling you no, no big buildup, no, no uh, tension or, or, um, or uh, anticipation. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I believe is the biggest problem in marriages, the real reason that we all struggle. And I'm going to do that by reminding you a little bit of what I do every day at work for the last 30-something years. Basically, as you know, I am a clinical psychologist. I have a couch and a pipe and a sweater. You know, I do therapy most of the time, therapy and conferences, okay? Now, regarding my practice, who I see in my office, it's mostly adults. Ironically, I, am a, I, am a, I read a parenting book, but I'm not a therapist to children. 
Um, it's from the perspective of someone who works with adults. Um, that's most of my practice. Now, I don't know how many of y'all have gone to therapy, but most people don't go to therapy just for kicks, right? You know, nobody just said, hey, doc, I just felt like it'd be awesome to get in therapy, you know? People come to therapy because they have an owie. They have a boo-boo. They have a symptom. They have a problem. Depression, eating disorder, OCD, bipolar, relationship problem, marriage problem, pick a card. Now, there's a backstory to that. People have symptoms and people have problems that bring them to therapy, not because they're lazy or they're stupid or they have a chemical imbalance alone, okay? The real reason that we get symptoms or we have problems or our relationship struggles boils down in a sense to this, that life is requiring something of us, an ability in our hearts, is requiring an ability that we don't have. In other words, God made us in such a way that in order to make life work and in order to be functional, in order to have relationships, in order to have friends, in order to do a job, in order to obey him, in order to be married, in order to buy a car, heck, that he made us to need to be able to have a lot of character abilities in our hearts and in our souls, kind of like software. In other words, he created us to need to have the ability to love or be strong or to forgive or to trust, and we ain't born with those abilities. So, in essence, life is constantly requiring skills of us, and the question is, do we have them or not? And I'll tell you one place that requires a lot of skills is marriage. Marriage requires skills, okay? Like Napoleon Dynamite. Hey, Pedro, you've got skills, okay? Same kind of thing. You need them. In other words, you could say that functioning as an adult human in the world is kind of like being a car. Think about it. For a car to function well, it has to be able to do a lot of different things. It has to be able to go, and it has to be able to stop, and it has to be able to turn. And here in the South, it needs an air conditioner. And, and a car can do okay if it's missing one of those abilities. Let's say it doesn't have brakes. And you're driving along, you know, the 285 of life. And things are just fine, but all of a sudden, there's a slowdown, and you start pumping the brakes, but you don't slow down because you don't have brakes on your car. And so you slam into that Kia Soul in front of you, and you are the SIG alert, you know? And that's not because you didn't want to stop. You wanted to stop. You tried to stop. You didn't want to hit him. You were lacking something. Now, what are the brakes and steering wheels of humans? Think about it. Somebody gets married. Do they have the ability in their character to be intimate? Do they understand what it means to be close to another person, to share their heart? Or is it sort of, you know, after the honeymoon, it's me and my best friend, the remote control. Did they learn in their software the ability to make sense of what closeness means? Now, if they do struggle there, that doesn't necessarily mean they don't care or you have a bad marriage. More often, it's they weren't taught that bit of software. They weren't taught that ability. We have to learn it. Secondly, do they get into destructive behaviors they can't say no to? Are they jerks and can't stop it? Um, do they drink too much, yell too much, porn too much, gossip too much? Can they manage their impulses? That's a bit of software that we have to learn. And if we aren't taught it, we're going to go to relationships missing those breaks, okay? Can they manage difficult people in their life? Can they stand up to the boss or 
to the, to the contractor or to their jerky spouse or do they live in a one-down child position? I see a ton of people in therapy whose spouse is kind of a bully and they don't know how to be strong and manage that. And that's contributing to their marriage struggling. Now, is that a marriage problem? Mm, kind of. But it's also that they're missing an ability that they have to have. All right? Can we apprehend what it means to be forgiven? In other words, that's a character ability too. Did we develop the software to be able to fail and not feel guilt-ridden or judgmental or condemning or self-righteous? These are abilities that we have to have to do life. And here's the secret. I don't know if you've been keeping up with current events, but every one of us is missing some of these abilities. So let me tell you what the biggest problem in marriage is. The biggest problem in marriage is once you get two screwed up people who are incomplete, both of whom are lacking some skills that we absolutely have to have in order to make life work, and they begin to encounter the sort of challenges that marriage absolutely requires, whether it's being intimate or resolving conflict or forgiveness uh, or, or pushing back on my sin. And they're lacking those abilities, guess what? They're going to reach for the brake pedal of that car and start pump, 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 pumping, trying to do something different in their marriage, and it ain't going to work, and they're going to go through the plate glass window with a quickie mark. Even though they don't want to, even though they're trying harder, even though they've prayed long and hard about it, that's why you're having the same fight you've had since college, okay? So a wife says, I don't feel like we're close anymore. And husband's like, ugh. You know, marriage problem, right? Well, maybe, but what I've seen is sometimes maybe that husband never really learned in his family what intimacy looks like. You help him learn that skill and things move up in the marriage. I told a couple once, by the way, I said, I really want to help you guys develop more intimacy in your marriage. And the dude's like, awesome. And the wife says, he means emotional intimacy. The guy's like, <laughs> The guy was like, I'll double your fee, man, yeah. <laughs> what I found is when you learn what real connecting looks like, or maybe this woman who doesn't feel close, maybe there's something going on with her about trust. Once you start looking at those bits of software that are, that are, that are missing, presto, the marriage starts to get better. So here's my point. We come to marriage, this place we've been told is going to at last be the place I'm going to find fulfillment and joy and singles often believe that's true. But as I told a group of singles I spoke to the other day, I said, let me get this straight. You guys aren't happy because you're not married. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> anyway, so we come to marriage. This place we've been promised is going to be all this fulfillment. Um, not really recognizing that it requires all this array of hard abilities in order to do it well. And we start running into things that we can't do. And we start running into things that our spouse can't do. And so things don't get done. And then we have marriage problems. Or work problems or spiritual problems. It applies to anything in our life. And you're thinking in your marriage, I knew this means I should have married that Sigma Chi. I knew I should have. But that's not it. The problem isn't in your marriage. The problem is that we're both lacking relational abilities that we absolutely have to have in order to make marriage work. So, good news and bad news moment, all right? The good news, no one is the bad guy. 
Okay? Both of you, let me back up. No one is the bad guy. So we're not into the whole blame thing. The bad news is you're both screwed up. <laughs> you're both incomplete. Good news is no, none of you is at fault. The bad news is we're not working with all the abilities that God created us to need in order to do marriage and to do life. The bad news is you both contribute to these problems, not because you're bad people or you're married the wrong person, but because you're both incomplete. And we're going to talk about how now what we're going to do is stop blaming each other for you make my life miserable and start saying, hey, I'm complete and so are you. You want to grow together? Not as enemies, but as friends. That's where we're going. But the first thing we got to do is get the blame out of the way, which is what I'm doing right now. I was talking to a couple not long ago who were talking about divorce. And I told them, in essence, you guys want to trade in the car. Let me put it this way. I don't think that the problem is the car. I think the problem is that you guys need driver's ed. Okay? Your car might be just fine. So point one for John's marriage conference. The problem is not your marriage. The problem is that we're all lacking relational abilities that we are created to need in God's image to do life and we're going to talk about what they are. So here's the correct question. Here's the question that will change your marriage. I want you both to start asking, how do we start growing together to do married stuff better? That's a technical term, married stuff. What do we need in my software? What do I need in my heart in order to love and be loved well? What are those abilities? How do we learn them together. You learn that, you figure that out, and you're teaching the marriage conference next year, all right? So there's a sense in which before we do a marriage conference, we kind of got to do a you conference, a conference on what's going on in you as individuals that you bring to your marriage. Now, this is going to do two things that I like. Number one, as I said, it's going to stop the blame. Most marriages become what I call blame marriages, Think about it. What is your natural inclination when you encounter a problem in your marriage? We blame each other. Norm and I used to blame each other even if we were just unhappy. You know, you're moving and it's hard and you're unhappy and you start snipping at each other. And we made a joke out of it. It's like, if I'm this miserable, it's got to be your fault, you know? Um, but what I hear in my office all the time is what I call he language or she language. You won't believe what he did this, and she said this, and she did that. And people live in this orientation toward the moment we encounter a problem in our marriage, we start playing badness hot potato of who's the bad guy. I, that you hurt me. Well, you don't think you hurt me? And we live there, which kind of ultimately makes us hate each other. And, by the way, never gets around to solving the problem that is causing us pain in the first place because we're spending all our time trying to figure out which one of us is the bad guy. Okay, that's the default in our marriages. Now, if you recall, we learned this ability from our dear mother and father, Adam and Eve. What did they do when they ate of the tree? First thing they started doing was hiding, okay? The next thing happened, what did, what did Adam start doing? Blaming, okay? In other words, God comes and he says, who told you you were naked? And Adam does what any self-respecting husband would do. He blames his wife. <laughs> in fact, if you think about it, Adam actually blames both God and Eve in one sentence. The woman who you gave to me gave me the fruit night, which I'm thinking is pretty good for your first day as a sinner. I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, 
he's, he's taken right to this, guys. You know, it's two for one. Anyway, in case you haven't noticed, this blame thing doesn't get you very far, and it doesn't solve the problem that you're blaming about, and it makes your spouse hate your guts, and rarely do they ever say, yeah, you're right, I am the bad one. So we're kind of wasting our time, you know? So instead of blame, which is our default because we ate of the tree and now we love to blame each other, I want to I um, begin instead like the gospel by asking, you know what, how do we quit the condemnation and blame? How do we both need grace? How do we both need to grow? How do we start looking at this as you and I I'm not going to try to attack you or blame you. We both have injuries here. I wonder what they are. No one's the bad guy. Our junk is the bad guy. Um, if I could draw on my slide, I would draw you a picture, but I'm going to act it out for you instead. I tell couples all the time that there's a secret, and that is that there's four people in every marriage. There's me, and there's little kids scared, insecure, screwed up me, and there's her, and there's little kids screwed up insecure her. Now, me and her, we love each other. We get along just fine. It's these kids that cause us all the trouble, all right? So I come home from work, and I say, oh, meatloaf again? Now, she'd be fine with that. But little her inside is like, nothing's ever good enough for him, okay? So she snaps at me, and my little guy goes, I walk in the door, and you start attacking me. And all of a sudden, we're two adults who are trying to have a good marriage, but these incomplete, fallen needful parts of us pick a fight with one another. I want you to realize that the, the, the culprit here is not necessarily your spouse, it's your incompleteness. It's one thing you both have in common, is that you both are incomplete and contribute to the problem. In that sense, you're same and same. So step one here in our marriage conference is the same first step as the gospel. I want to get rid of the condemnation that rules every marriage. When marriages struggle, people start judging one another and blaming, and I want the first step in a gospel-centered, Christ-centered marriage to be, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm a mess, and so are you. Let's make that safe. The fact that we struggle in our marriage is because I'm incomplete. Cox is going to go through what those are in a minute. We're going to figure out how I'm incomplete, and so are you. Let's grow. So step one, let's stop the blame. But the gospel doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with just grace. It also says, yeah, we're safe in grace. Yeah. Anybody up there? He's heading up there. Step two, the next question is, how, how, how do we grow? Okay? Gospel doesn't just say you're forgiven, great. It says you're forgiven and it's safe now. Now let's grow. Okay? That's where we're going to go this weekend. I want to talk about what are the things that are broken in us what are the things that keep us from having a good marriage? How do we grow together? I want you sort of not enemies in this process, but friends, broken friends. Hey, honey, we're both incomplete. Let's grow. All right. So what are these abilities that we need to have? What do we need to have ticking inside of us in order to do marriage well? I'm going to go through them tonight. We're going to look at two of them in more detail tomorrow. Um, and as we, as we go through them, ooh, good, we're back on. Let's learn to grow. Great. As we go through them, what I want you thinking is, huh, I wonder if this could be one of my blind spots. I wonder if this could be one of the places I need to grow. 
And I wonder if this is a place that my spouse needs to grow. And I want you to ask those questions in that order. <laughs> Good. Yeah, right. You're getting it. All right. And you singles, same categories I want you to have as a grid for you as you think about dating, as you think about selecting a spouse. The best thing you can do in your dating and your search for a beloved is to be working on growing to become more and more whole in the way God made us to function. In other words, that talk I was telling you about, I did to singles, the title of the talk was Becoming the Kind of Person You're Hoping to Find. Okay, I say that to you spouses as well. Besides, and I say this to you spouses as well too, we kind of psychologically default to choosing a person to marry who's at about the same level of emotional maturity as us. So think about that when you're calling your husband, you're just a spoiled child, you know. Well, you know. So, you singles, as you grow, the more mature and strong you are, the better picker you will be, all right? So, look at this in that regard for yourself. All right, so what do we need character-wise in order to make marriage and dating work? What are those abilities? I call them the four I's. You know how they say there's no I in team? Well, there is in marriage. There's four of them. (laughs) They are intimacy, closeness, attachment. Um, The first one is about being close, being known, being connected. All right. Number two, it's about identity. And that is having a sense of you, the ability to say no and hear no, separateness and strength. Uh, The third one is imperfection. Do I have the ability to maintain my poise when my faults are pointed out? Can I deal with the ways in which you let me down or disappoint me? I'd had a really bad day the other day, and Norma said, how was your day? And I said, it was really hard. And I started talking about it, and the phone rang, and she answered it and walked out of the room. And I'm like, okay. And I thought, okay, John, how are you going to deal with this? That hurt. Do we have the ability to manage those kind of disappointments and kind of keep our grounding? Um, Lastly, the issue of impulse control, emotional management. Can I have a feeling that makes me want to like let them have it and yet manage it? These are the software package. These are what humans need in order to do life. They are what humans need in order to do marriage. Uh, A similar outline of abilities is what I talk about in the parenting book to help our kids learn as they grow up. So let's look at them. Number one, the issue of intimacy. We're going to do a whole talk on this one tomorrow. This is relational closeness, attachment, connection. You guys know what intimacy is. We're going to need to go two ways with this. In fact, we're going to go two ways with every one of them. I'm going to call them, can I let you in and can I keep you in? Okay? These are two of the most vital abilities you need to have in order to do marriage or a relationship. So be thinking How good am I at these? Might this be one of those blind spots where I need to grow? Let's look at them. Can I let you in? Think about what we usually talk about in life. As I say, we'll talk about this more tomorrow. We chit-chat and do new sports and weather. You know how y'all can't believe it's going to rain tomorrow. You know, can you believe Trump's latest tweet? You know, we chit-chat. Or we communicate to solve a problem, give an opinion. Have we paid the bills yet? You know, do you like the new Star Wars movie? You know, we sort of stay at that level. And that's really valid, 
I mean, we got to be able to make life happen. We're not building a commune here. But if that's all you do, something's going to be missing. If that's the deepest you can go, you won't ever really get a sense of who I am. I won't be able to be close to you, okay? So let you in, can I let you in, means did I develop the ability, did I learn, was I taught to understand what it feels like to be me? To share with you what it feels like to be me and to care about what it feels like to be you, okay? That's intimacy with another human being, boys and girls. That's it. It's not rocket surgery, okay? Can I know what it feels like to be me? Can I share it and can I care about yours, okay? For a marriage to be meaningful, we need to be able to do that and go below the surface. Now, I'm going to go ahead and admit that that does usually mean something in the feeling realm, Okay, sorry guys, all right? But hearts don't really talk about the weather. What hearts say is things like, I'm hurting, or I'm scared, or I'm proud of what you did at work, or I see that you're exhausted from the kids. You hear the feeling communicated there? You hear the heart communicated there? God calls it abiding, and he describes its absence by saying things like, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You ever hear that from your spouse? What they're telling you is, hey, there's a let you in piece missing for you. Okay, so can I let myself need you? Can I tell you that work stunk today, that it was hard? Can I try it on when you tell me that your friend hurt you? Can I bring my heart? Let me ask you, when I was telling you earlier about what you guys have given me in my life and my career, did that mean something to you? Did you feel that? You're doing it. That's, you let me in, okay? Check that one off. Move right along, all right? In other words, what you did was let me matter. You felt how much y'all matter to me. That's what I'm talking about. That is an ability. Now, you'll be surprised to know there are people who cannot do that. Well, I had assumed that John had already had a thriving speaking practice before. You know, it's like, no, no. Don't go here. Go here. So if you heard me there, you're getting it, all right? So, if you want your marriage to grow, one of the questions I want you to ask is, how good am I at that? Can I let what I feel and what you feel be something we really engage with and talk about? Um, and we're going to unpack that a lot more tomorrow. Now, at this point, you relator, connector spouses, the ones who are really into the emotional connection thing, you're getting all real excited right now as I'm talking, and you're going right on. Preach it, brother. This is why I brought him. You know, I hope he's listening. You know? But intimacy also means for us relator types, and, and I'm the relator in my marriage. Me and Norma are backwards. Y'all probably remember that. In our marriage, men are from Venus, women are from Mars. You know, I'm the one kind of going, why can't you just hear my feelings? Why do you need to fix everything? You know, turn off the football game. Why don't we talk? You know, I'm that guy. <laughs> She's like, Tom Brady just lost. I'm like, who's Tom Brady, you know? Um, <laughs> so we're kind of weird. But anyway, for, for us relator types, the emotional connector types, intimacy also means, have I developed the ability, did I get the software, to still feel loved and connected inside, 
even if you are watching the football game, okay? In other words, can I keep you in? It's the flip side of the whole intimacy thing. A legitimate problem for a lot of us relator types is that we can live in such a way that if I'm not feeling connected to and listened to and we're really sitting knee to knee and sharing all the time, I feel like we have marriage problems, okay? Keep you in, ask, instead of um, needing connection all the time, can it feel good to be me? Can I know that you told me yesterday that you love me and maybe you've been busy and distracted today, but I can hold on to that and live on that and not need to be connected all the time and know I'm strong and grounded in love? Can I do that too? For a lot of us sharing types, constantly needing to be understood or talking a lot, and if if we're not, then maybe we're kind of not okay. So sure, your spouse can learn a lot more about connecting. That's why we started with that. That's great. But the other part of this is what do us relator types do with love when we get it? They need to open up more. Sometimes we need to be better at holding on to love. And hear me on this, that holding on to connection thing, that I'm grounded in love and trust it, is as big a problem in a marriage as a a spouse who's not able to open up, okay? And that's not what you expect to hear at a marriage conference. What you expect to hear at a marriage conference is, hey, y'all just need to really be sharing a lot more. That's what your marriage needs is more sharing. And that's exactly one half true. The other half of it is those of us who are all the sharer types need to be really growing in our ability to know I'm loved even if we're not talking right now, okay? Now, see, these are character abilities that we develop and that we learn in relationships. We're taught them in relationships. Note that we're going to come back to it. Can I reach out and share? Can I trust and not be needy? Basic software. That's what's behind marriage problems, at least at the first eye. Okay? By the way, what happens when can't let you in? Y'all remember this joke. I'm sure you do. What happens when can't let you in and can't keep you in go out on a blind date? It's love at first sight. They get married, you know? <laughs> In other words, all you need is connection, and I have no idea what we're, ta- what we're talking about. Let's get married. You know, cue the theme from Love Story. Um, just, by the way, these are kind of on a continuum. No one's an absolute one or the other, but I want to give you some categories. But you will tend toward one or the other. Now, if you struggle with either one of these so far, which you do, that's cool in the gang, man. That's all right. Welcome to the club. Struggle in humans club. Now admit that to your spouse or your girlfriend. Bring it to your growth places. Quit fighting the blame marriage and start going, you know, that thing you've been telling me about uh, what Cox was saying about uh, can't let you in. That's what you've been trying to tell me. And your spouse will go, yeah. Okay. I want you to be using these as categories to look at where your blind spots might be. All right. Now, second eye. Identity or separateness or boundaries. In other words, even when we're one with someone, there's still two people involved. There's more to relationship than just attachment. There's also the issue of individual separateness. There's more to relationship than candlelight and bath soaps and Adele music. There's also the issue of personal separateness and strength, okay? And again, two sides. Can I be me, and can I let you be you? 
In other words, can we both matter? The word I like to use there is mutuality. Now, where we are right now, gang, is that the peanut butter and jelly of the sandwich of marriage, the two most important things we could talk about in marriage, and we could do the whole conference just on these two, is can I be close and intimate with you, and can we both still be who we are with each other? Intimacy and mutuality. Can I be close and share my heart and trust yours? And also, can I be me and still have room to make you be, let you be you? Okay, these are the most important things we're going to talk about in some sense. This is going to be big tomorrow also, because we're going to talk tomorrow about intimacy, and we're going to talk tomorrow about dealing with conflict. Now, if I am me and you are you, guess what? We're going to have some conflict, I promise. And that's not a bad thing. Actually, more on that later. But number one, can I be me? This is the ability that we are taught to know who I am, to know what I value, to know what I want. Who is John? Can I have my ideas and they be different from yours? Can I say no to you? Can I hear no from you? Can I be close to you but different from you? You know those people, and half of you are those people, uh, who are kind of unable to be me if they have a fear that someone else is not going to like it. So they're on every Sunday school committee because they can't say no. <laughs> um, or you ask, what restaurant do you want to go to? And they're like, oh, I don't care anywhere's fine, you know. And they often live life kind of controlled by other people or by their spouse. And there's a sense in which they can kind of live in a one-down compliant child position of what are other people going to think. Okay, now to you, I say, in order to make life work, in order to make marriage work or your job or parenting, we need the ability, we need to have taught and be, learned, be taught and learned the ability to have a seat at the table in our relationships. We need to be taught that it's okay for me to exist and have a voice. That's an ability, okay? Now, obviously, it is important that children learn to hear no, right? But children also need a category for what it's like to be able to say no. Now, some of your children don't, didn't ever need any help with that. Like my two-and-a-half-year-old Wit right now, he's loving saying no to everything. And he's, he, he, has, he doesn't just say no anymore. That's gotten old. Now he has kind of a wind-up to it. It's like, Wit, come on in. He'll go, no! It's like a big drags it out. He's enjoying every moment of it. But what's happening with him is he's developing the sense of power of, I am a player here too, Okay. We need to learn to hear no and to say no at the same time. I see people in the office all the time, and they have a demanding, controlling spouse, and they have a lot to say to me about how difficult and what a jerk this person is, and how this person is always telling them how to drive and how to spend their money and telling them that they don't love them well enough, and that's all bad and everything. But I always ask them, as they're doing all this he language, uh, what if instead of complying with the spouse the way you do, or, or um, you know, being afraid of upsetting them, or doing their bidding and then later on resenting them, I say to them, what if you said, you know what, I will discuss this with you, and I will work with you, because what you want matters, but what I want matters too, 
And I'm not really willing to do the whole you tell me what to do or get mad at me thing anymore. I want us to work toward us both mattering. In other words, I tell them, and I know this is a brain teaser, what if there were two people in this marriage? You might have the best marriage in Fulton County if you had you in it. A woman wanted to divorce her husband, and she was very much of a, of a doormat spouse like this. And she said, I want to leave him. And I said, make me this deal. I said, you get a sense of self to where you're actually in the marriage, and then you can decide whether you want to leave it or not. Because right now, you're leaving a marriage that you don't even belong to. You don't even exist in this relationship, okay? Well, I tell them that. You need to matter in this relationship too. And what they say to me is always, well, I can tell you exactly what he'd say. Or, well, he'll get really mad. And they're living their whole life kind of underneath another person's reactions. And that, hear me on this, that kills marriages as much as bully abusers do. That passive oppressed spouse who will not stand up and push back on a hurtful person, I see that undermine marriages right and left. This is a vital ability. This is a vital ability for that car to be able to do. The ability to be you and to stand up and to be strong and to have a sense of self. Okay? How good am I at that? Can I have a voice in our marriage? Or am I afraid I'm going to upset my spouse if I do X, Y, Z? Okay? This is not selfishness, by the way. Selfishness means only I matter. Uh, the Bible calls this stewardship. Okay? In other words, biblically speaking, this is who am I and what do I believe? What do I value? How do I make choices based on that? Letting that be a factor in the relationship. This is Martin Luther saying, here I stand, I can do no other. This is what I value. This is, you know, when Joshua leads the people in the promised land, and he says, choose ye this day whom ye will serve. What he's saying is, put your finger on your pulse and ask, who am I and what do I value? As for me and my family, we're going to serve Yahweh. you got to have a ye. God created us to have a chooser inside. One of the things we need in identity is, can I be me? So a lot of people don't know who they are, and that creates a ton of havoc in marriages. And they say, well, I have a bad marriage. Mm, maybe the truth is that you're missing some pieces, like yourself <laughs> so do you see what we're doing so far i'm wanting to dissect marriage i'm wanting to deconstruct marriage i want you to look at the pieces that make marriage work and start reflecting on the degree to which you might need to grow there and we're going to talk later on about what that growth looks like all right by the way another version of the can't be me deal that i just got to touch on um besides the doormat um is passivity, the nice person's sin. Passivity basically means I don't initiate in my life, I don't proactively act in my life, and essentially my spouse is always therefore having to initiate everything. My spouse is having to come back and reinitiate after that fight. My spouse is the one having to initiate sex or to call the plumber. And if their spouse doesn't do it, I won't do it. It won't get done. Okay? Now, this will drive your spouse crazy because it puts them in a very interesting double bind. Think about it. If you live with a passive person, you have two options. Number one, you can do nothing. And therefore, nothing will happen because they're passive and aren't going to do anything. 
Number two, you can actually do something and swing in there, which enables them to continue being passive. It's a double bind, and it makes spouses of passive people just you know, pull their hair out, okay? So if you're passive, take a look at that, okay? Which would require some initiative, which is exactly what you don't have, so that's why it's <laughs> hard to cure passivity, okay? So now, who do the doormats usually marry? Mr. or Miss Too Much Me, okay? This is me, this is who I am, you don't like it, there's the door, all right? So the next question is, can I let you be you? See, all of these balance each other, okay? This isn't all about just me, 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 me. Can I let you be you? The can't be me people can't say no. The can't can I let you be you people can't hear no, okay? Or bend the knee or make room for another person, okay? And our sin nature makes this one tougher in some ways because, you know, if you think about it, basically we're all born and hold a board meeting and elect ourselves chairman. You know, that's what the Bible tells us. We want to run everything, so we're kind of swimming against the sin nature current here, thinking about, do I have the ability to submit to another kind of, another person's heart in a relationship? I have a couple, um, I had a couple a couple of years ago, and basically, um, the husband literally had never had anyone say no to him in his life. He was kind of the little prince growing up and got everything he wanted, so naturally, his wife ended up in therapy. <laughs> um, usually, sort of um, unrepentant, selfish jerks don't come to therapy. They s- incline their loved ones to have to come to therapy, if you get my drift, okay? Because living with him was making her crazy. So anyway, um, she, she and I did this work on her learning to exist and her learning to push back on his complete self-centeredness, which is the only thing that would help this marriage. Well, that guy into therapy. (laughs) Um, And he was just enamored with me for teaching her to exist. Um, But his reaction was like, (laughs) his reaction was like, he's like confused, angry, like at his wife. Like, what do you mean existing? You're going to, you're going to, have an opinion over mine. You know, he couldn't make room for someone else existing in the relationship. Um, I can't tend to kind of be this kind of person. Um, I'm a strange blend of the more touchy-feely relational, and I'm also a jerk about it, okay? Um, anyway, so be reflecting, those of us who are the controlly, this is my opinion kind of people, how good are we at having the ability to let other people in our lives be them and not and, and not be the same as us, be different from us, like different things from, from us, disagreeing with us. Um, I have a couple right now, and every time she disagrees with him, he takes it as like, why do you have to disrespect everything I say? And I'm like, she's not disrespecting you, she's just not you, okay? <laughs> Try that on, okay? <laughs> this is the spiritual ability of mutual submission. Can I make room for someone else? Can I submit my own desires for someone else to matter to? There's an old corny marriage joke. Um, This guy's uh, got a big interview this morning for vice president of the bank. And uh, he's he's getting ready to go to work and he's kind of nervous and he stops at the door and his wife comes up and she straightens his tie and she says, honey, don't you worry. No matter what happens at that meeting today, you will 
always be vice president in this home. Let's touch, I want to hear me on this, you doormats. Those of you who have trouble standing up and being you, um, hear me on this. People who live like this controlling person need you to set limits on them. They need you to stand up and not let them control you in order for the relationship to work. Like I told you, I'm one of these controller people, and we need you to not let us steamroll you if this marriage is going to work. If this marriage is going to work, you're going to have to exist in it, okay? So when we begin a sentence by saying something like, what do you think inviting them to the party? We need you to not respond like Chicken Little and say, well, I mean, I thought y'all were friends from work, and then you wonder why we treat you bad. What I want you to say is, why did you invite them to the party? I'm not sure. Is that a question or a criticism? What do you think? We need you to stand up. We need you to say, I don't think I want to do the whole criticize my choices thing tonight. But if you're really asking, I will tell you. That is a very loving, powerful limit on somebody who has trouble letting you be you. Huge problem I see in marriages all the time is not that they don't love each other enough, but one spouse can tend to be aggressive and the other spouse doesn't know how to lovingly be strong and still exist. So they start to wither and pull away and I just see it all the time. And when I get that spouse to start being stronger and developing this ability to have a sense of self and push back, you see the marriage thrive. And the jerky person gets better. I'll tell you more about this tomorrow, but I remember one time, Norm, I, I worked with Norma. You can't let me... I said, did you hear the way I just talked to you? Do not let me talk to you like that. And so one day I said something ugly, and she said, did you mean that to be mean to me? And I'm like, I think I did. And she said, that doesn't feel good. I don't want you to do that. And I'm like, okay. I mean, it helped me grow up, okay? (laughs) See what I mean? This is a different kind of marriage conference. I'm not going to like, okay, I want you to write down your three favorite things about one another and share it at dinner tonight, okay? I want to get to the gnarly underbelly of what makes relationships work. I need to be able to let you know my heart. I need to be able to trust your heart even if you're not connected to me. I need to be able to know who I am. I need to be able to make room for who you are. And as you're sitting out there, I want you thinking, where are these might be, where might be some of my blind spots here, okay? So, when you set limits on a bully like that, or a, 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 a selfish controlling person, they might get mad, but we need you to not comply with us on it, okay? That's what that marriage needs first, not more love. It's the only way to have a relationship with an alpha or a bully or a jerk or a powder or a sulker or whatever, okay? That's why the whole uh, stereotypical Christian response of a wife who lives with a jerky husband, just go back and submit better, doesn't work, okay? Growth for a controller, love for them always means setting limits on their um, choices. This is so neglected in Christian community. Anyway, in order to have, in order to do all that, you have to have a you. And we will talk tomorrow morning about dealing with the conflict that this will inevitably create. Okay, but conflict is good. You heard it here first, you doormats. Conflict is good. Okay.
Now, if you can't do these things, cool. Admit it. Talk to your spouse about it. Start bringing it to your growth places, which we will talk about later on this evening. Um, and get people to help you. This is how you're going to work on your marriage, is by looking at the blind spots that you have. And as you grow there, you guys are going to become better drivers. Now, one other thing I want to touch on, and then we'll take a short break. Um, a lot of what we're talking about here tonight presupposes that you're both repentant. In other words, I'm assuming that if you're here, that you both are saying, yeah, hey, I want our marriage to be better. Now, some of the sort of controlling jerky people I was just talking about, they don't care. They're like, I'll talk to you any way I want. Um, I'm presupposing that you're repentant here. We're going to touch some tomorrow on how to deal more with an unrepentant person. Um, but if you are married to someone who doesn't care about your relationship getting better or maybe you're here by yourself um, and your spouse is like I don't want to go hear a bunch of psychobabble you know whatever take heart because something I do all the time at work and and then you can do too is that um, I'll end up seeing one spouse who's the only spouse who wants to change and what I found is that if that spouse starts looking at these four eyes and looking at the parts of their own character where they need to grow, and growing there, somehow it changes the marriage anyway. And the reason that's so is because marriages are like a baby mobile. Okay? You know, a baby mobile has the little sticks and the strings and like little Noah's arcs or something hanging down from it, right? So what happens to the baby mobile if you change one part of it? You snip off one of the little Noah's arcs, the whole baby mobile shifts. And what I've seen over and over again, I'm speaking to those of you who feel more hopeless in your marriage, like, wow, John, this sounds like cool growth stuff my spouse would never buy. They don't want this. They're fine up on their throne. I want to give you some hope. If you invest in your own growth and you begin to shift, it shifts the balance. You change the size of one of the gears in the clock and the whole clock's going to tell time differently. I see it all the time, all right? So take heart in that. Um, let's take, can we do, with this many people, a 10-minute break? Can you be back at, let's say 25 after. We'll start up again. Are good?